So you've got to surround yourself with smart people that know what they're talking about. I mean, look, I'm at the point where I, I don't have nothing left to prove. And I can ask the stupid questions now without people thinking I'm really stupid. And I remember actually, I, I remember a commander in the Navy once said that, ask the smart people. He said, you'll be surprised how, how dumb they really are. You know, and, and that's kind of like a true respect. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Penetration testing, or pen testing for short, is one of the unsung heroes in the battle against cyber attacks. Sometimes it's just a check the box exercise. Yet it can be one of the most valuable tools in your efforts to identify and protect your data. That is why, as a former CIO myself, I was interested to learn about the evolution of pen testing. Welcome to Status Go. I'm your host, Jeff Tun. The fight against cyber threats is never ending. Just ask our guest today, Darren Manners. He has been on the front lines of the battle for decades. Darren is the founder and developer of Red Spy 365. Red Spy 365 is a unique weapon in this war against threat actors. I had the opportunity to moderate a webinar with Darren a few weeks ago, and I wanted to take a deeper dive into Red Spy 365 and its story. Let me get this disclaimer out of the way early. Red Spy 365 is a valued partner of InterVision. We are going to geek out about this product a bit more than we typically do on Status Go. With that, Darren, welcome to Status Go. Yes, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. You may have caught a hint of an accent from Darren. Sure. Darren, could you share a bit about your background and your time in now His Majesty's Royal Navy? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's changed, isn't it? So I, as, a, as a young 19-year-old lad, I, I dropped out of university and uh, joined the Royal Navy. I joined as a what we call, used to call a communication technician back in those days. In fact, we was called a communication technician because we couldn't tell anybody what we did. Now they actually call us cryptologic technicians. They've actually come out and say what we did. But my, my job was to intercept, analyze, and disseminate enemy communications to command tactically and strategically. It was quite a, an intense one. I, I, I'd done nine years in there and left as a, as a chief petty officer. When I left, it was kind of the wild west of uh, internet. You know, those are the days when, you know, you had the webmasters. But my, jo my job was... Um, you know, always offensive and defensive security. Um, I really moved in that realm, you know, basically from when I was 19, you know, physical security or whether it be, you know, sort of understanding cryptography. But it really was, you know, it moved from 19 to where I am now, 50. So I've been on the blue side, like the defensive side. Uh, but majority of the time now, especially in my later in my career, I've been on the offensive side of things, the red side, as it were. And you've got certifications in both sides, though, right? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, people say to me, like, you have a lot of certifications. And I, I always try and point out, it's just that I enjoy what I do. And so one of the things that certifications, you know, they do for me anyway, is they focus me probably in areas that if I was reading a book, I'd just flip through. You know, so it's, it's important, I think, to understand some of the more boring aspects of security. Um, but, you know... 
again, they, they focus me, but you know, I kind of like the ones as well, where it's hands-on in front of my peers mm -hmm. and I've never been afraid to fail, you know? So I always tell people, look, I failed more than I've passed. So it doesn't, I'm never the smartest person in the room, but I'm pretty persistent in what I do. I love to learn. And, you know, this face, especially in our industry, and that's really kind of a, a tech as a whole, it changes all the time. You know, you think how far it's changed from the days of like Windows 351 to where we are now. If you didn't like technology or learning, you know, it's not like I always say English teachers probably have a slightly easier job because like there's no going to be Shakespeare 2.0 dropping tomorrow in which everything has changed and now they've got to relearn everything. Right. So, yeah, my, my accent is, you know, I'm from North London. Um, I was born and raised in London. Uh, I moved over here about 20 years ago. I never lost my accent in the, oh, and I always tell people in the accent scheme of things, I'm the downstairs of Downton Abbey as opposed to the upstairs of Downton Abbey. I think a lot of people are familiar with, you know, an upper class British accent from sort of Hugh Grant and some of the movies. Yeah. Um, you, know, you know, going back, I think it was some of the movies. You know, remember War Games and Hackers? and Absolutely. Those, those were the things that really got me into it. And it got me into that tech side of things, the understanding. And then when I joined the Navy, it kind of, developed through that it actually became made me much more disciplined I, I definitely give the navy the credit for disciplining me in in teaching me how to learn you know i i came from sort of uh you know inner city uh middle and high school and you know not much expectation out of the pupils in those things they never really taught you how to learn they taught you they said this is what you gotta learn but they never taught you how when I, mean, I got to the navy you know 50 percent of my class was female which is you know, something that, you know, the industry lacks anyway at the best of yeah, times. Yeah. But the, the girls that was in my class, you know, I was always amazed at how how they were really good at rote memorization or how they were really good at understanding it. But it, they, they taught me that, you know, how to learn the menclatures and, you know, rhymes and making things up to, to remember, you know, large lists or just different things. And I was always, because I always felt like that was cheating. I always felt like I just had to read something and, and it kind of just, stay in the brain somehow but when i started to understand that's how learning was that's really kind of really enabled me to to grasp up some other aspects as well and you know I've, you know we went from the learning the atom i remember to learning you know sort of baseband satellite type intercept you know much more yeah, sophisticated yeah. and then when i left you know the certifications focused me very narrowly on you know the blue side the red side you know i've done the sans gse ccie security I always just aimed at the ones that I think as well, if, you know, if I failed them, I was like, I don't feel too bad. You know, this is a really super hard exam, yeah. but I always tell people some of the hardest exams I ever did were the ones I did really early on, like the basic ones, just because, you know, it's, it's new. You don't really know what, what to expect in the industry. And so sometimes, you know, you end up with like a, especially the basic ones, it's like a trivial pursuit of the last 20 years of security. Whereas at least some of the more complex ones that you think are a lot harder, they're very narrowly focused. So you, you're allowed to go deep, but you know, a mile deep, but an inch wide, which yeah. is a lot better, I think, at times. Well, let's shift a little bit here to uh, penetration testing. Uh, for our listeners who may not know exactly what pen testing is, can, can you describe uh, pen test, what, what you do during a pen test? Sure. So my, my, the aim is to, to mimic, you know, the bad actors, but you know, you, what you're trying to do is to test the defenses 
that an organization have. So you, you're trying to make sure that they're the onion and not the egg. So that if you get one past, you know, past one defense that the whole thing doesn't fall down. But you're mimicking the bad actors. You're you're exploiting vulnerabilities, mistakes, misconfigurations, which leads back to like sometimes you have to know how things are configured to understand how they're misconfigured. You know, sometimes that that's a miss. But really penetration testing is you know, it's ethical hacking. It's trying to mimic the bad actors. But it's evolved. You know, it's not what it used to be. You know, basically, you know, back in the day, you could pretty much, it was like the Wild West. You, know, you can go back 10 years and it was like the Wild West, you know. But nowadays, it's it's more, um, I would say it's got a better framework in, in it, mm -hmm. like PTES framework, open source frameworks, that we try and follow a repeatable process so that if the next pen tester comes along, he can look at my report and understand what I'm doing. And it is right. evidence-based as well. You know, you're not just making it up. I always tell people like, you know, a vulnerability scan is kind of like jiggling the door. It says, Hey, this is potentially a problem, but really a pen test tests it to see if it really is it a problem, is. but yeah. it then goes beyond that door to see if there's other doors that it can go through. And of course, pen testing is like external, internal web applications, social engineering, you know, physical, um, you've seen the evolution from pen testing into red teaming where, mm. you know, you're not just, trying to do a shotgun approach of see how many ways you can get into an organization. But in red team, you know, trying to find one way in undetected. So you're testing, you know, the, the, the response of the organization as well. And, and then this other evolution that, that caught my attention when we did the webinar was this concept of continuous pen testing. Talk to us a little bit about that concept. So about, I would say about nine, nine years ago, um, I, I started working on a, a product and I've worked on a number of different products, you know, sort of cyber warfare defense league, you know, which is a tongue in cheek, you know, IR system. Uh, I worked with sphere of influence, uh, radius CP, but what I started to see was that, you know, I'd done a test and then two weeks later, this organization was compromised and I was like, we suck, you know, cause two weeks ago yeah. they were fine. Now they, now they don't not fine. And so I started to understand that we had to do better as a pen tester. There's a lack of skin in the game. You know, I could go do a test and leave and then that's it. You know, my weekends, if you think about it before Red Spy, I had zero skin in it. Every weekend off, I wasn't responsible for anything. I could go in, do test, leave, go do my training, no responsibilities. I wasn't responsible for like, like a sysadmin where you're on call or instant response. Very easy. Um, but what I understood was that you had to move from a photograph to a movie. We had to be able to adjust and adapt mm -hmm. so that as the threats landscape changes, and you, there used to be the mantra of if you, if you change your infrastructure, you should always retest. Well, to be honest, you don't have to change anything. I mean, you know, the world around you changes fast enough. Right. So I understood that things were, were moving in a way that we could test. And what I mean by that is, Back about 10 years ago, you know, if there was a problem. If you started doing heavy scans, systems would fall over. And the, the error handling of a lot of, you know, infrastructure devices or a lot of systems wasn't that great. And so, you know, the one-off testing was okay because they could put up with you maybe forcing a reset on something or reboot on something. But I noticed that things were getting more resilient. At the same time, I started to see, I think Raphael was doing a talk, Rise of the Red Team, uh, which was like a, a DARPA funded project of Cortana. 
So I started understanding some Cortana scripting. I was working on ISO, which is the email phishing side of things. I was talking IRC, Raphael was talking to IRC. So at that point, I went back to the room and started you know, playing with some of the Cortana scripts and seeing how that could implement with my uh, ISO system and the IRC I was building. I was like, wow, you know, I could actually move this from the, the, the photograph to the movie. And that's mm-hmm. really kind of 1.0. Yeah. That was really the emergence of it. I, I love that, that uh, analogy of a photograph in the, uh, in the movie, because that really jumps out at you when you're, when you're talking about that. Now, the, the, the third definition that I'd love you to hit on, and then we'll, we'll dive deeper into Red Spy, uh, is uh, PTAS or Penetration Testing as a Service. Now, what is that? There's, there's been a number. So I've been, like, when I first started doing this, no one was doing continuous testing. No one even mentioned continuous testing. And I used to do a lot of Google searches. Maybe my searches weren't great, but, you know, no one was doing anything 10 years ago. And then you started to, to see that, you know, the emergence of PTAS, which, you know, pen testing as a service. And a lot of that was just, you know, people understood that they needed to test more on a regular mm-hmm. basis. And it's not continuous. But what it does is it's like maybe once every two months or once a month or twice a year or three times a year. So now, you know, they're saying, okay, um, because if you imagine, especially as a, as a pen tester towards any end of budget year or towards the end of any sort of calendar year, everybody's trying to cram in pen testing because they have Mm -hmm. like a regulatory compliance requirement that says you've got to test once a year. And so everybody wants that test that they've sort of put off, you know, done now. And so there's kind of like spikes towards, you know, budgetary years, maybe at the beginning of a year or sorry, towards the end of a year that, you know, that time is busy. And then of course you've got low periods. No one likes testing over Christmas. No one likes, you know, testing over Thanksgiving or, you know, coming up towards the end of the end of the year in, in Christmas time. Or so you've got these kind of like peaks and troughs. And I think what pen testing as a service does, it kind of ironed it out and it does help on the back end where you can start sort of managing your teams or managing you know, organizations so they can test regularly and you can sort of mm-hmm. iron out bumps and peaks and troughs as it were. But to me, I was always like, well, that's just, you know, one off, you know, the in fact, you know, Rob Joyce, the head of the NSA tailored access operations came out and he said, you know, these guys are coming at you 24, seven, 365, and you've got to think accordingly. And so what I did was I thought about it. I was like, man, you know, you, you got to be able to think about this accordingly. You got to be able to test like the bad guys are testing at you you know, continuously and mm-hmm. be the known bad as it were, you know, so that's kind of one, one tick box that you get, you get out of it. But, you know, that, you know, he was talking about continuous, you know, he was talking about, you know, to me anyway, it came across as it was a continuous effort. Yeah. And so what I did was I started to work out, okay, well, how could we do this continuously? Not just as a once a month or, you know, but as a continuous service. So that as, you know, temporary cracks, mistakes, misconfigurations can be found we can highlight them and provide the actionable intelligence when it's needed the most, i.e. when you first see it, you know, when, as soon yeah. as it's seen. So if you go back to my Navy days, that was all about actionable intelligence, providing the command of actionable intelligence. So not, not a lot has changed. You know, I'm in pen mm-hmm. test, but my job is still to provide the actionable intelligence to give the command the information that they need so that they can digest it and make it so that they can make decisions or command decisions based upon what we say. Well, let's talk specifically about Red Spy 365. 
you talked a little bit about when that idea was born, but when did you make the decision to productize it? Uh, and then let's dive into what what is it? What 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 do you get with Red Spy three sixty five? So what I wanted to do was, you know, I never wanted to be the next vulnerability or create my own vulnerability scanner or create my own web application scanner or create my own X tool because I understood that I don't have a massive development team. You know, when you're building something, you don't have a massive development team. And to be honest, I didn't want to carry that development technical debt forward either because, you know, good web application you know, software creators are hard to find. It's a very niche field. So what I relied upon was when I first started Red Spy, I knew that it was going to be best to breed tools. So when people say to me, how many developers do you have on Red Spy? It's like, well, hundreds, if you look at the products that are combined inside it, mm-hmm. you know, because each of the best of breed product does their own thing. You know, they've got their own niche and they've got, you know, some of them have got decades of experience understanding that. So I was never going to go, Hey, I know what, I'm just going to create my new, um, you know, vulnerability scanner. There was just no need for that for a start. And secondly, I don't think it would have been best for the client, the best for the customer. So that's kind of like, you know, Red Spy's best of breed tooling, bots, you know, and I talk about a bot is, you know, a bot to me is an event action trigger inside of Red Spy. It's, and I really wanted to create it low code, no code. You know, I was tired of hearing, gotta be a ninja. And I'm like, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a place for ninjas, I think, in the security field. But you don't want them at, right at the customer client facing. At least I don't think, I think so, especially if they're like ninjas in tooling. You need them be able to be at much higher level so they have a bigger impact or all the agencies under, under your testing control. So the idea there is that, you know, it's best to breed plus the tooling. But then the last thing is the analyst. You know, so I always talk about bots and tooling does that repetitive tasks brilliantly. You know, it's mm-hmm. going to do a repetitive task much better than a human can do. Whereas, you know, a human is very good at interpretive aspects, you know, especially when we talk about AI or ML. I say I have AI. I've got AI in there. With, uh, or we've got machine learning in there with um, the, the policies and procedures that we're putting in. But we also want the, the human aspect to understand it and look at it. And that really comes to the forefront. So the idea was that Red Spy would understand that there's a change in the risk posture and then bring that to the attention of the pen tester to say, okay, what do we do with this? Mm-hmm. You know, now there may be some automated workflows that you can automatically put in, notifying the pen test, notifying the client, maybe doing some other enumeration. But really, I wanted to bring it to the attention and say, hey, something's changed. You know, what do we need to do? And it may be something's changed on the client, or it may be something's changed in the big wide world. The other thing, so you have this nucleus of best of breed tools, bots, and analysts. And then the other thing I wanted to be able to do was understand that institutional knowledge is everything. You know, and what I mean by that is as a pen tester, and I, when I do a one-off, I don't really know the organization. I don't know enough about, you know, the institutional knowledge, what this asset means to the business that I'm testing. I might have a slight indication, but I really rely, rely upon organizations understanding that institutional knowledge, you know, when they digest that report. But what I found was that you could sort of feed in like business impact analysis, asset inventory, product tech catalogs, that you could feed in compliance so that you can now start to understand, okay, we've got a risk. We've seen a change in risk on this asset, but how does that affect the business? And I think Mm -hmm. that's the maturity that how Red Spy is evolving so that we understand, okay, 
this is a critical risk on the coffee pot where it's not going to be as a bigger risk to you know a high risk on say something that you know sensitive to the organization so you can start to understand you know the prioritization and then the other final part was I understood that we've got this institutional knowledge, that we've got this compliance where we can start to understand the root cause. Maybe we see a risk and there's a control object failure. We need to fix the control object so that we don't see the risk repeating itself again. The other part was the final part to me was understanding threat intelligence. And so I, I teamed up with Intel 471 so that we could start sucking Intel, you know, threat intelligence so that these risks that we see, we can start to understand what the bad guys are doing with them. Mm -hmm. so that i'm not just mimicking other pen testers otherwise you're just kind of like one big echo chamber you know if you just look at what pen testers do and you can sign up to pen test websites and hopefully you know you're, you're mimicking the bad guys but closed source threat intelligence based with you know best of breed tooling bots analysts and also understanding the institutional knowledge as well as the compliance where the control object failures to me that's everything i needed to know about you know what priorities an organization should do or you know the actionable intelligence i could provide to the to the organization when when you go out and you work with client organizations who's the who's the end user if you will of the red spy 365 tooling is it the ciso is it the security analyst who who's actually getting in uh to that tool and making sure that they're taking care of the things they need to take care of. Well, that's the exciting part of it. You know, it, it kind of varies. But one of the things I looked at, especially very early on, we decided to split some roles up. So we had like the admin role, which was us. You know, that's the analyst. Mm -hmm. Then you had like a user role, just a typical user role. Um, then you had a compliance role. Then you had a recommender role. And so you, you kind of, you're trying to create the, the dashboard or the visibility for what they're interested in. Like, the, you know, the CIO or what hat you wear, as it were. You know, the mm -hmm. CIO hat is going to be more interested maybe in, you know, the compliance, the, the actual reporting, the metrics, the bigger picture, whereas the security analyst might be the nuts and bolts of, you know, the technical findings maybe mapped to some of the compliance. The CFO might be interested in some of the metrics gathering so that at least they're heading in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So to me, it was all about, you know, what hat you wear to what you get out of the system, because otherwise what happens is every person that logs in is going to be like, well, I want it to say X, or I want it to be, you know, I want the dashboard to look like this, or I want, you're always going to have some kind of different opinion. In fact, I've always talked about putting widgets in the dashboard and people be able to build them. But really it's, it's the roles enabled me to be able to do a certain aspect of that. And then, you know, as we move forward, you know, the, the roadmap, as it were, for Red Spy, that starts to become much more interesting because now, mm -hmm. you know, to me, content is king. And what I mean by content is a tactic, tool, technique, procedure, or a combination of, you know, we need to be able to gather the latest and greatest, you know, content. And we need to be able to put it into a format, if you imagine like a playbook, that mm -hmm. Red Spy can digest. And this is why we built the orchestrator, you know, in Red Spy, so that we can extract, you know, from, and initially right now it's from my analysts. My analysts can add new tools, tactics, techniques, procedures, they can add scenarios, phishing pages, landing pages. They can add that at a much higher level. Imagine it like an app store and then mm -hmm. make that available to all the agencies under their control. So it's much like Apple, if you think about it, you know, 
when Apple first released the, the iPhone, they didn't have the app store. It was the iPhone. It was Apple engineers made the apps on the iPhone. So much like right. where we are right now, you know, we, we have it slightly decentralized. We've got our own app stores, but it's kind of like where we're at. The next stage for me is the marketplace where we can now crowdsource that security research content mm-hmm. and make it so that, you know, people can put that content into that digestible format for Red Spy and, you know, clients can purchase that content from the marketplace. If you think about it, you know, typical crowdsourcing right now is a thousand people attack this one IP address. Mm-hmm. And you, you may get very similar answers because a thousand people are attacking a single IP address with a certain, you know, uh, subset of risks and vulnerabilities that they're going to find. But what I'm interested in is asking those thousand people how they would attack that IP address and gaining that knowledge, extracting that DNA from those thousand people, because now then the tool becomes a combination of multiple DNA. And that's really the only way we're going to compete with nation state. Like I can't, I don't have the resource of nation state, but what we're seeing is that line become a little bit blurry. Because as sort of, you know, global things happen, then, you know, nation state actors may sort of blur the lines between criminal actors and may transfer tooling. And that has the effect of really sort of putting one criminal entity maybe above the defense capabilities. And so we have to be able to to mimic that in in a sense. And I think the only way you can mimic that is by crowdsource security research, extracting that kind of data. So you've talked a lot about this, the analyst. Are, are, are these employees of, of Red Spy? How, how does the analyst side of this work? Yeah, so the analyst, we usually have teams. So we have a, a team leader and a team member. So team members are usually responsible for the infrastructure and understanding everything else. They can get involved in some of the testing, but the team leader sort of freed up to do the actual uh, testing. And, you know, I think all, I think nearly all my guys are ex-military. Um, we have over, you know, a hundred years experience just in, in, I think just in probably the military alone, uh, but mm-hmm. we've wow. got a number, you know, my, my, the way we try to set it up is semi-autonomous teams, but we, I could, that way I can compete teams against each other. It can almost gamify that kind of process. Um, but there's a, there's a pathway from a junior to a senior. So we have like red teams, then we have gold teams. So obviously Red Spy has a different version. So we have, you know, we have a, a core, which is external only, external, you know, attack the threat surface, web application, as well as phishing. Then we have the mm-hmm. core plus where we can put an appliance internally and do the same thing internally. Whereas, you know, so, so I have red teams that just focus on the external and the uh, phishing side of things. And then we have gold teams that do what red teams do, but also do the internal side. And the numbers are quite, you know, they, they, they start to vary sort of, you know, what teams can handle. It's kind of like a gymnasium membership kind of thing. Some clients mm-hmm. are very involved. Some clients aren't so involved. Some clients are much bigger. Some clients are much smaller. But we try and balance it so that teams, you know, we have key risk indicators so that should a team start to sort of feel like it's getting bigger, we can almost split that team in half and that, now, now we've got, you know, that team member can become a team leader of two teams. Yeah. And so you, you start to see them sort of bubble off. And the idea is as well that, you know, there's a, there's a career progression within Red Spy as well. So that, you know, they're not just, hey, I'm a pen tester. We're just banging on a target. 
When we did the the webinar, one of the slides that I just loved because I thought it was I thought it was genius. Uh, you you did a slide on lessons learned, but you had the word learned marked out, and you replaced it with learning. So, what are the lessons that you are still learning, Darren? I you know I, I this goes back so that there's a there's a I always believe we're always learning. You know, this is a field that we are constantly learning. It's, it's always something new. You've got to maintain, you know, this is one of those fields where you're you know, spending half your time sharpening an ax before you're cutting a tree down because you just have to. It's a, it's a lot mm-hmm. of involvement. You have to have that passion for it. Otherwise, it, it kind of disappears very quickly. But definitely, you know, one of the lessons I'm learning is all about the tooling, you know, and I, and I mean that in a sense that, you know, it, it's not just a, you know, press button tool. The difference is, though, the tooling can make things so much easier, but you still have to explain the complexity of what happened to the client so that they can, you know, know what to fix or know how to defend against. But the tooling allows repetition. The tooling allows, you know, I I give an example. So if I come up with off-the-shelf tooling that everybody knows about, your defensive capability is probably aware of those tools. So there's a lot of aftermarket work that has to go on for me to avoid your defenses. Well, you know, I, I always go back to, you know, I think it was Elon Musk that was talking about it's, it's never, it's not the, the, the tool or it's not the, the machine that builds the prototype, but it's the machine that builds the machines that build the prototype. And so really that's, that's what I focus on. It's kind of like, it's, it's one thing to, to sort of be able to create a tool that does X but you've got to create a tool that allows a combination of tools to be able mm-hmm. to build. So you got to, this is where that orchestrator comes into play. You know, this is where mm-hmm. you've got to be able to orchestrate things and be able to digest things very, very diverse. So in learning that, that, that was like, you know, something we understood very early on. Um, I think, you know, we wanted to make it so that it was low code, no code. Like I said, I, w- I was like, I didn't want ninjas. You know, I think turning around and saying, look, if you're 250,000 security analysts short, you're not going to sort of get there by beating them over the head and saying, you've got to be a ninja. You have to create the tooling for them. You know, we, you know, we could still, it'd be kind of like going, turning around and saying, Hey, look, you know what? I think we should only use cannons. And it's like, no, we've, we've got guns now. We can, you know, do much better than just a cannon or we got artillery things. eh? No, no, we got to, I remember back in the day when I first, when I first left the military and I was working in a web development team, and I was using Dreamweaver and I was like a heretic for using Dreamweaver because everybody was building it in Notepad. It was uh-huh. like, oh my God, look how much code you've put in there. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm getting everything that you've done, like done in like, you know, a tenth of the time than what it's taking you to do it. Now we build websites in websites. You know, that's that's how far that area's come. But offensive really never never got into that. So to me, it's the tooling. The other mm-hmm. part is to to be what I've learned is to, to, to surround myself with like super smart people, you know, and I'm, like I said, I am never the smartest in the room, but I, I sit there and I listen to them and I have to orientate myself to the language and what they're talking about. And, you know, right now it's, you know, we're doing some things with some crypto and, you know, understanding, you know, Gnosis safe, you know, diamond database and understanding that kind of language and how that works and how Pope works. And then you've got, you know, the Kubernetes area. So, you know, you've got to start to work out this evolving technology. So you've got to surround yourself with smart people that know what they're talking about. Don't BS. 
I mean, look, I'm at the point where I, I don't have nothing left to prove. And I can ask the stupid questions now without people thinking I'm really stupid. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's, and I remember actually, I, I remember a commander in the Navy once said that. He, and he sat around to me and he said, ask the smart people. He said, you'll be surprised how, how dumb they really are. You know, and, and that's kind of like a true respect. I mean, it's, you're only smart for a very, like if you ever write a white paper on something, you know, and I've done some sans white papers, you only really get deep into the weeds when you're doing it. You know, three, four months from then, you can't really remember a great deal. You're not sort of, at least me, I'm, I'm not all, I'm not at that level where I can sort of read a page and remember it for the rest of my life. I yeah. think I'm like everybody else, you know, you peak. And it's the idea when you do certifications, you know, you're peaking at that period, but you can never, unless you're doing it 24 seven, you're, you're never going to be maintaining that level. It's like athletes, you know, you peak and, and trough. So to me, it was all about surrounding myself with smart people and letting them do their thing. You know, and that's the other part is I, you know, I, I one of the things I've learned is that, I go through, I, I do it very differently. I think one of the things I learned was that you, you do it through, I'm a very visual person, but I can do that in my mind. I can sit there and work out interactions with something that I'm building and how it should look and what the results should be. And I go through the whole process, you know, just to find, find, and I, it drives my wife crazy because, you know, I'll sit there and I'll, I'll go through, like if I'm going to wear what tomorrow, I'm going to go through the action. I'm, okay, I'm going to get up, I'm going to brush my teeth, I've got toothpaste. So I'm going to need socks. I'm going to need underwear, I'm going to pants. I'm going to need shirt. When I'm packing, I'll go through that process. Like I've already been there. That way I know what to pack. And it's the yeah. same with kind of web applications or any, anything I'm building. I go through the process, understanding, trying to find out what trouble things I'm coming up against. And then I'll sit about it and I'll think about it. And, you know, I always think was it, was it, um, I can't remember who said it, but it was like, you got to have thinking time. You know, if you don't have thinking Absolutely. time, you can't sit down and think about something. You're just reacting to things. So that's another lesson learned, just to be able to sit down and think. You know, my wife would be like that. She'll say, well, stop thinking about it. I'm like, it's actually my thinking time. I'm just thinking about it. And, it, you know, it was interesting. When I first left high school, I'd done a, a, a job placement, you know, like as a career thing for the school. And they sent me in with a, to be in a lawyer's. And I realized that lawyers can charge thinking time. And I know I was like, wow, you can just like, you can sit in a taxi and charge a client because you're thinking about them. They're like, yeah, I was like, that's pretty amazing. Like you can just make stuff up, you know? <laughs> but you know, obviously we, we don't charge thinking time, but I think that's part of it as well, that you're always constantly thinking. I'm one of these people that just constantly involves. So I've learned, yeah. I'm still learning, you know, I always, you know, I went to a uh, black hat and there was this young kid that came up to when I say young, you know, everything's young now. But it was like, yeah, anybody over 25 shouldn't be in security. And I was probably like, yeah, I probably agree. You know, <laughs> my brain's mush at times. But I do. I said, I do have some background schemata. I can remember, you know, that maybe you need. And I think soft skills as well is important. But, you know, it, it's interesting. Like I always, again, if you ever think you're smart, go to somewhere like DEF CON. You'll see a you know, 12-year-old kid kick your ass. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just the way, the way it is. Yeah, you know, yeah it's, absolutely. It's born of technology, you know. It's kind of like, you know, they talk about SaaS products born of the cloud or cloud native. You know, you got kids nowadays that are born of technology, know nothing different. You know, when we when I was growing up, you still had to, hey, I'm going to phone you when I get there. You know, so nowadays we, we're not without our tracking devices all the time with us now. Yeah, we, we, we've evolved, we've learned. Well, Darren, we are, we are out of time. Man, whenever you and I talk, the time just flies by. But, but before I let you go, um, I, wanna, I, I wanna ask you one last question. Here on Status Go, 
we'd love to leave our listeners with a very intentional, explicit call to action. So what are one or two things our listeners should go and do tomorrow because they listened to our conversation today? So first thing, reduce your threat surface. If it doesn't need to be exposed, don't expose it. If you've got a port open that maybe only one person uses it, just restrict it to that one person. You know, threat surface exposure is, is always a bad thing. And the other thing is multi-factor authentication. You know, just if you're not doing multi-factor authentication now, you should be, you know, because it's pretty simple to get a credential. And especially if, you know, now got VPN access and I can take that credential and reuse it to gain access to the organization. So those two things definitely reduce the threat surface so that, you know, what you put out to the big wide world is the most restrictive possible. And then things like multi-factor authentication. I mean, there's a whole plethora of things that people can do. And people say to me, what's the most likely attack It's like, depends on the skill set of the person attacking you, you know, what they're going to do and what their TTPs are. Um, but really, you know, it, it's consistently over time, I would say it's kind of like, you know, application whitelisting, spread surface reduction, XDR, EDR, and then sort of multi-factor authentication. It, it doesn't really change much. No. Well, that's, ex that's excellent advice. Uh, and uh, I would also encourage our listeners to check out Red Spy 365. As I mentioned, they're a, they're a great partner of InterVisions and the platform that Darren has uh has developed and launched into the world is a is a great tool to help you fight the the cyber attacks coming your way. Darren, thank you so much for carving out time, man. I know how busy you are, uh, and I appreciate you jumping on this call and and chatting with us today. Hey, no problem. It's always say we're the best product you've never heard of, and uh, hopefully, you know that will change. But I appreciate it. Thank you. I, I hope so too, and I hope our listeners now will will go check it out. To our listeners, if you have any more questions or you want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information, and we'll be sure to link to uh, Red Spy 365's website, and you can check them out. This is Jeff Tun for Darren Manners. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find InterVision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.